Aren't you thankfulness for the faithfulness of God? God is truly faithful, and we have so much to be thankful for. And I'm thankful to just declare those praises this morning as we come and approach God's Word. And, and we're, we're, this morning we will be reminded of how faithful God is in our lives. Yesterday I had the great opportunity of being a part of a, we, a wedding ceremony for a young man that for many years I got to sit with every week and disciple and teach him God's Word. And, and I began to see in this young man... A, uh, a, a thirst and a hunger for the Lord. And um, as that hunger and that thirst continued to grow, it flourished and it grew into a, a desire to be in ministry. And that desire for ministry uh, blossomed into uh, uh, just many opportunities for gospel work in the life of this young man. He began to serve the church faithfully. He was preaching sermons for me when he was in high school. Um, he went to college and, and was able to pastor a little church in Mississippi um, that needed a, a part-time pastor. And yesterday he was able to, to unite in marriage with the woman that God had blessed him with. And it just reminded me of, of our topic this morning and, and the way that God saves us. And by his power and strength, not by any work that we do or have done. And it's by his work and his power that he changes us. And this is the theme of, of the ending of our, our study in 1 Thessalonians. When we began this journey, we called this, this study hope and holiness. These were the two main themes that Paul was threading throughout this passage, throughout this letter to the Thessalonians. And we come to the end in chapter 5, verse 23, and it's these very themes that Paul wraps up in one and two sentences in chapter 5, verses 23 and 24. And by God's grace and, and providence, we will study these things today, learn from them, and be challenged in them. Let me read this. Paul writes to the Thessalonians as he concludes his letter. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. I don't know about you, but I hope in your lifetime and if you walk with Christ and you love the Lord, you have seen the gospel of Jesus Christ change the lives of people. I hope that in your life you have seen a radical transformation, not only in your own life, but in the lives of other people. People in your church, people in your family. So that we can, in one way, give evidence or testimony to the amazing power of Jesus Christ in the gospel. To take the worst, vilest of sinners and radically transform them into complete opposite people for his glory and for his honor. But you know, I, I can't assume that every one of us has experienced that. Sometimes, even in our own lives, we don't reflect upon what God has done for us. 
Sometimes we don't necessarily think about how we have been changed by the gospel. So let's just take into account for a second that, that we live in a world of this bizarre world where we have, not, we have not really sat back and meditated and thought about how God has changed us and how the power of the gospel changes lives. Even if we have not done those things, we are promised in the word of God that he will change us. So what I'm saying is, is that even if you have never experienced it, the promise is still there in his word. It is still guaranteed that the gospel changes lives. So you don't have to rely on your experiences in other people's lives. And maybe you haven't even thought about the experience in your own life. Because what you experience isn't always, uh, or, or what we think about sometimes isn't real to us. It's not a reality to us. But the word of God promises it. It is a reality. Because the word of God is speaking truth to us day by day. And so what we can say today is that the word of God changes lives. The gospel changes our lives. How does that apply to you today? Well, because every one of us in here are broken. Every one of us this week have suffered in some way. We struggle through sin, we struggle through temptation, we struggle in in the circumstances that surround us, and we are broken people. And if we can't realize that, if we can't look at the things in our lives that we've experienced, and the, the tragedy of sin that has entered within us from the beginning and see that it breaks us down and it, it, it be- makes us become people that are, that are idolatrous people, that are people that turn our, our, our faces away from God and, and people that want to walk in our own direction. If we can't admit that we are broken, then we can never come to Christ. We can never reach out for Him for help in our brokenness, for transformation in our brokenness, for change in our brokenness. And so to start off in our lives, we have to understand that we are sinners in need of grace. And not any grace, but the grace of God. And this beautiful promise at the end of this letter is that as God changes you by the gospel, as he transforms you, in saving you from your sin and and atoning for the sin that you have committed by Jesus Christ, that not only will he save you from the wrath of God, but throughout the rest of your life, he will continually change you and conform you into the image of God. What that means for us today is that the gospel does not just give us hope to escape hell. The gospel gives us hope to radically be changed day by day to look like Jesus until the end. That is what we call sanctification. The word sanctification means basically to just be made holy. And folks, listen, brokenness and sin is the, is the opposite of holiness. The, the wretchedness of our sin is the opposite of holiness. We, before Christ, are swimming in unholiness and unrighteousness. We are undeserving of the grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yet he reaches down, he seeks us out, and he radically transforms us. 
Listen, if you think that you came to Christ because you deserved Jesus, folks, let me tell you right now that you are the enemy of God before you knew Jesus. There was absolutely nothing that Jesus looked into your life and said, you know, this person's going to be really, he's going to do great things for me. I'm going to reach down and I'm going to save him or I'm going to save her. He looked down into your life and he saw, one, saw someone who defied his name every day. And yet he radically saves us and transforms us by his death, burial, and resurrection. And he changes us day by day from that point forward until one day when he will come again. And so Paul wants to remind these Thessalonians of that promise. That this promise is a promise of hope. And that that hope is a hope that we will be changed and made holy. Now, as we begin this morning, I want us to understand a couple things about this passage. The first thing is this, that gospel change occurs because of the character of God. Gospel change occurs not by our character, but the character of God. If you notice in verses 23 and 24, Paul is teaching the Thessalonians two major characters of God. Number one, that he is a God of peace. And that number two, that he is a God of faithfulness. That he is a God of peace and that he is a God of faithfulness. And if we're going to understand the gospel change in our life, we have to understand and know that these are are promises from the God of peace who makes lasting change in us. The Bible teaches us that God is a God of peace, not a God of confusion. We would say that all that he has made is a, is a, is a created order. There's a, 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 the way that he created the universe and everything in it is not chaos, but instead it is order. Your life was not created from chaos. It was created from a designer. And not only is there order within what he, God created, but there is order within God himself. That there is a peace and a harmony within the Godhead himself. Father, Son, and Spirit in perfect peace, in perfect unity, in perfect harmony. And God even comes and, and, and he, he approaches mankind. And the Bible even tells us that He comes to us bringing us a gospel of peace or a covenant of peace. In Ezekiel 37, 26, we're reminded that, that God says that He will make a covenant of peace with His people. That it will be a everlasting of covenant, an everlasting covenant with them. And he will set them in their land and multiply them. And he will set his sanctuary in their midst forever. This is a covenant of peace, a, a commitment from the God of peace. And so not only is God a, a God of peace, but he accomplishes peace for us. And I think this is the kind of the, the, the crux of what he, Paul is referencing here is the gospel. God is the God of peace because he is a bringer of peace through Jesus. Turn back to Ephesians chapter 2 as I read this this morning. Ephesians chapter 2, I read through verses 10. But look with me starting in verse 13. 
Earlier we, we saw, but God, Paul says in verse 13 of chapter 2 in Ephesians, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also were being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. This is a beautiful picture of, of what Christ has done for his people, which is called the church. That he has brought people who were at, in hostility with God and even in hostility with each other. Jews and Greeks. At one point, Paul mentions the barbarians and the Scythians, these, these wretched, violent people of history. That God has literally brought us all together in unity and peace. And he has broken down hostility and he has broken down division so that we can come and be reconciled to God. And so this there speaks to us that the God of peace accomplishes peace in us through Jesus. Promised in Genesis chapter 3. At the very beginning of, of, of the scripture and the, and the story of God. When, when, when it's prophesied that the seed of the woman will crush the seed of the serpent. Genesis chapter 3 is a foretelling of the peace that Jesus Christ will bring to us by his death, burial, and resurrection. Matter of fact, even Romans chapter 16 tells us that the God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. And so God is a God of peace. He brings peace to us through Jesus Christ, but he also gives us peace in the gospel. God is represented as someone who gives us the peace of God in our own lives. As, as uh, Isaiah 26 tells us, when our mind is fixed on him. Or we see the, under, uh, the, uh, the peace that surpasses all understanding that guards our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus, which is found in Philippians chapter 4. And this is not a, a, a mystical uh, chanting or murmuring that we ac accumulate this peace. This is not a meditation that blocks out the noise where we find our inner consciousness. This is a peace that is given to us by the Holy Spirit through the Word of God. Oftentimes you'll hear people say, well, I just have peace about that. Why did you do so and so And you're like, well, I just have a peace about it. And I always want to say, well, how do you have that peace? 
Because the peace of God that surpasses all understanding flows through the prayers, by the Spirit, through the Word of God or from the Word of God. And so if your peace is coming from those things, then you, are ha- you have a divine peace sent from God. Let me back that up for you with Scripture. John chapter 14. Jesus is leaving his disciples. And he's preparing them for a very difficult journey in their lives. And I'm sure at many funerals you've heard this passage in John chapter 14 read. And really what we're, we're looking at here is, is Jesus preparing these men for gospel ministry. And he, he says the very famous uh, quote in, in verse in 14.6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. But I want you to look down in, in, into chapter 14 and verse 27. Let's just start in 25. He says, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give you, not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your, let not your hearts be troubled, let, uh, neither let them be afraid. Where does this peace come from? Well, the Holy Spirit, in verse 26, the helper that Jesus sends in his name, teaches us how to understand all that Jesus has said. So he's bringing to remembrance the words of Christ, the Holy Scriptures, and from that is where we derive our peace. The peace of God flowing through the gospel into our lives. And so how important is it for the God of peace to give us the revelation of Jesus Christ so that we can have peace from Him? D.A. Carson writes, This peace secures composure in the midst of trouble and dissolves fear as the final injuncture of, of this ver- as this verse demonstrates. This is the peace which garrisons our heart and mind against the invasion of anxiety. And it rules or arbitrates in the hearts of God's people to maintain harmony amongst them. And so the idea this morning is that are you trusting in the God of peace to give you the peace that surpasses all understanding? You are bombarded in the world to believe that a peace exists outside of God. A peace in the security of money, a peace in the security of a family or a job, a, a, a peace in, in, a, in a stable economy. And all these things can crumble and fall away, and yet the peace of God that surpasses all understanding is guaranteed for us in Jesus Christ. In the midst of complete and total chaos, and as the world likes to call it, apocalypse. We have no reason to be afraid when we are in Jesus. And so not only is he the God of peace, but he is the God of faithfulness. Verse 4 of 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Just a, just a powerful verse to remind us of the faithfulness of our God. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. 
It is guaranteed that He will change you when you trust in Him. It is guaranteed that His plans and promises will always come to fruition. He never leaves anyone hanging. He is always faithful. His plan is never put on pause or it's thwarted. But when you believe and trust in Jesus Christ, this verse teaches us that you will be sanctified. You will be changed. You're sanctified as just, of a, as, just as much of a guarantee as your election will be, or your election was, and your glorification will be. This is based on the attribute of God, which we call His immutability or His unchangeableness. Isaiah 46 verses 9 through 11 says this, Remember the former things of old, for I am God and there is no other. I am God, there was no one like me, declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times, things not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand and I will accomplish all my purposes. Calling a bird of prey from the east, the man of my counsel from a far country, I have spoken and I will bring it to pass. I have purposed and I will do it. And so God, in the gospel, bound up in the gospel, promises that you will be changed. And not only a change in the future of glorification, in that twinkling of an eye when you will receive a new body and and you will shed this old skin and this old suffering body and decaying body, but that every day God will give you victory as you trust in Him, as you grow in Him, that victory is promised over the things that you struggle with every day. And I think the, the the greatest struggle in the church today is to think that salvation is in the past and glorification is in the future and somewhere in the middle we're just trying to get by. Instead of knowing that Jesus Christ is the power that has raised Him from the dead is the same power that is eliminating our anger and is defeating our our sin and our, our selfishness and our idolatry. It's restoring marriages. It's healing broken families. It's changing lives. This is the gospel every single day in our lives. And so this same promise comes from the same promise of God who says in Romans 8 that those whom He foreknew, He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. So if you believe that you are saved by the grace of God and that the God's plan before the foundation of the world was to save you, then you must believe the promises of God that He is going to conform you into the image of His Son. Because those whom He foreknew, He predestined, and those whom He predestined, He called, and those whom He called, He justified, and those whom He justified, He also glorified. And sometimes we look in the mirror and the last person we see is Jesus. But let me ask you something. The day that you became a believer or that time in your life that you became a believer in Jesus and the power of God radically changed you, did you really immediately feel much different? I mean, did you really 
just, just wake up and be like, man, I'm just a completely different person? I can't tell you that I did. But it was the power of God changing me and growing me and, and, and testifying in my life that I began to see God's power in me. And so don't trust oftentimes your mind. Don't trust the fact that you may look in the mirror and go, man, I don't feel like I'm acting like Jesus today. Because Jesus Christ is changing you. Jesus Christ, if you look back and you're honest with yourself, you will see that by His power and His strength, He is giving victory over the sins in your life. The idols that is tearing down. We just have to trust in Him. Trust in His promises. Trust that He is doing a work in us just as He has already done and as He will continue to do in our lives. Now let's be honest. These are the promises of God. And our, our salvation is instantaneous and our glorification is, 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 is instantaneous, but our sanctification is a progression. And we have talked about this that our sanctification is a positional sanctification. I'll explain this, but it's also a progressive sanctification. What do I mean by that? Well, in verse 23 it says that He, the God of peace Himself, will sanctify you completely. He will make you holy. And the idea of Scripture teaches us that when we are saved in Jesus, He has already made you holy in the eyes of God. He has placed you in a position before God Almighty of perfect holiness. And what that means is that whether you're 10 years old or 50 years old or 90 years old, you do not have to strive to please God. God is pleased in Jesus Christ for your sake. And yet we are positionally standing before Jesus already holy, already at peace with God. Romans chapter 5 verse 1. Since we have been justified by faith, since we have been justified, since we have been made right with God, since the God, the judge of all creation, has looked upon Jesus and the work that He performed for us and says, Nathan Pellegra is no longer guilty, he is now innocent in Jesus, then I stand before Him as holy and righteous. Why? Because Jesus Christ has given me His righteousness. He has given me the position of righteousness before God Almighty. And yet, we also are told to be holy. We are also told to walk in the Spirit, to turn from our sin, and to walk in Christ. And so that progressiveness of it is that we are constantly being challenged to walk in holiness. We are constantly challenged to fight the fight of faith. And that fight of faith is not just with the spiritual forces around us that battle in society and the world, but the, the battle of our own sinful flesh and our, and our newfound spirit, our new life in Christ. And so what we have to be careful of is that we don't adopt the approach of letting go and letting God where we, we just trust in a, what, I, what I call a, a, a couch potato sanctification where we just sit back and, and allow God to change us as we watch Jerry Springer. 
but instead that we are active in disciplining our bodies and, and, and striving for holiness, knowing that the promise of God is that He will make us holy. And that is the tension that we find throughout Scripture. Philippians 1.6 says, I am sure of this, He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus. The end goal is that you will be perfectly holy when Christ returns. That you will be complete in Christ. And He is constantly conforming us and changing us day by day to that point. And so it is progressive. Flip over with me to one more verse. Hebrews chapter 13. Look at verse 20. This is Paul's, or not Paul, but the writer of Hebrews. And some people believe it's Paul. And it sounds very similar to what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians. He, he writes, the writer says in verse 20 of chapter 13, Now may the God of peace who brought again the dead, brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen. The God of peace who raised Jesus from the dead, who raised the great shepherd of the sheep, will equip you with everything good that you may do his will. And what kind of will is it? It's a holy will. So by His Holy Spirit, He gives you everything that you need from His Holy Word to do His Holy will. That this is a work in us which is pleasing in His sight. So as you work, God is working in you. That is our sanctification. That we are striving every day to turn away from the sinfulness. To turn our eyes and direct our attention toward Jesus Christ. Toward his word and what it commands us. Not that we are striving for salvation. But we are striving because of our salvation. So we say that the the gospel change will occur because of God's character the gospel change will, will occur progressively or day by day. And lastly, gospel change will be completed. Paul says back in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, very simple words that have caused a whole lot of controversy. And may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Notice that Paul says that you will be sanctified completely. I like to say it as this. You will wholly be made holy. That's how God will change you. Every ounce and being of your person will be radically transformed. Every sin and struggle that you face will be changed. And can you imagine for just a second that Jesus, when he saves us, 
takes us out of the world? Can you imagine that for just a second? If Jesus radically just, just takes us immediately to his presence, what I believe is that then we don't get to see the glory of Christ in the changing of, of his people for his glory. When we step back and reflect upon the way that God has changed each one of us in the community of faith, in our families, where we see Christ take a rebellious uh, um, you know, spirit or, or, or child that, that, that spurs authority, Instead, he, he radically transformed that life to, to submit to the, the authority of Scripture and to submit to their parents. We see the, the vilest of sinners that we can imagine bound up in addictions and, and lusts, and, and, and God takes that person and changes them. How much more glory does God get when we see that progressive sanctification throughout life? And even in our own life, when we can look back and see the victories that God has given us and know that the promise is, is that He will continually give us victories. That is bringing God more glory, more honor for His his work in us. And so don't get confused in this one little phrase that says that He will take your whole spirit and your soul and your body and get all sideways off into to theological arguments about, wait a minute, so do we have a soul and a spirit and a body? Or do we have just a soul or spirit and a body? And believe it or not, theologians, you know, they like to sit around and, and we like to just argue about these things, right? And this is the great argument of trichotomy versus dichotomy. And it basically means this, do you have a soul, a spirit, and a body? Or do you just have a soul, spirit, and body? Meaning soul and spirit is interchangeable. And the, and the, and the thoughts that in your mind is, what does it matter? <laughs> and, and, you know, we just have to have something to talk about. And the truth is, is that um, I don't believe that Paul's trying to start an argument here. I don't, Paul, I don't think Paul's trying to say, now listen everyone, before Jesus has said, Dying on the cross, Father, today receive my spirit. And, 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 and in that moment, Jesus does not say, Father, receive my soul. So maybe there's a difference there. I don't think Paul's trying to bring up an, a theological argument here. I think Paul is just trying to remind us that our sanctification is in its entirety. Like when you tell your loved sweetie pie honey buns that you love her to the moon and back. Or you tell your children that you love them from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet. That you love them in its ent- the entirety. That's what Paul's saying here. He's not trying to make a, a theological uh, distinction. He's just saying, look, when God sanctifies us, He does it completely. Now, I believe that we have a body and we have a soul. And you can use the word soul or you can use the word spirit. Because Jesus says to love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. He doesn't say the word spirit. But then when he's on the cross, he says, Father, receive my spirit. And he doesn't say the word soul. And so he's leaving something out or those words are interchangeable in Scripture. And that makes me a dichotomist. And so, you know, I don't put that on my business card. That's just what it is. 
But do you know that as you go home today in the sins that you struggle with, that God will make those new? That all those things that, that are reoccurring in your life, the doubt, the fear, the anxiety, the lust, the anger, God is changing you. Trust in Him. He is faithful. He will surely do it. He has never broken a promise. He has never neglected a single word. And oftentimes in humanity, we take our image of God as, as who we see other people as being. So if, if you have unfaithful people in your life, an unfaithful marriage or an unfaithful child, or even if you're a young person and you have an unfaithful parent who breaks promises and says, I'm going to take you to McDonald's or I'm going to be faithful to you forever or, or I'm going to provide for your needs and, and somehow that didn't happen, then we go, well, then God must be unfaithful too. And Scripture teaches us that He is surely faithful. Because God's word is completely true because God in his holiness has to be faithful. It is in his nature to never lie, to never break a promise. So we have to believe the word of God because he has proven that he is faithful. And so you will be changed. And this is the message of hope. This is the message of hope for you and for I. That as we live day by day, that Jesus Christ is conforming us and changing us, we don't have to be defeated. Monday may be a bad day for you spiritually, but there's always Tuesday, Lord willing. Tuesday may be the day that God gives you victory in those moments and in those days. And then Wednesday you may fall back off the ship. And it's constantly in your life. But if you do what I did a long time ago, and in just a visual, I'm a visually minded person, make a bar graph of your spirituality. Make a line graph. You guys know what I'm talking about? Take that point in your life where you, where you feel like you trusted in Christ, and take your life now, there's going to be an increase if there's true spiritual change. It may go up and down and look like the, the you know, the, the rock formations of, you know, of a major mountain chain, but it's going to go up and down and there's going to be an increase over time. And if there's not an increase, if there's not a gradual uh, change and an increase of becoming more holy, if you are less holy now than you were when you gave your life to Christ, please stop lying to yourself and become a believer in Jesus. Come to know Jesus Christ today. Because if there is no spiritual change, you don't know Jesus. And we have to be honest with ourselves that the power of God that raises Jesus from the dead will change you. John Owen writes this as I close. He says, Sanctification is a qualification indispensably, indispensably necessary unto them who will be under the conduct of the Lord Christ unto salvation. He will lead none to heaven, but whom he sanctifies on the earth. The holy God will not receive unholy persons. This living head will not admit 
of dead members, nor bring men into the possession of a glory which they neither love nor like. Would you pray with me? Father, I know that there are people here this morning. We sit here and we sit under the authority of God's word and Lord, we're struggling in in our sin. Every one of us. In the dark recesses of our heart and our mind, we have those unspoken struggles and sufferings that we face. God, would you remind us of the power of the gospel? The power, God, that changes lives. The power that, ro- that, that raises Christ from the dead. The power that started a spark in, in Jerusalem that created the church that has continually grown throughout all the centuries from that day until now in the midst of trials and persecutions and sufferings, people are constantly being changed because the church will prevail. God, would you remind us that even beyond our experiences, your word is true because you spoke it. And what you speak to us is that you are faithful and you will surely complete all that you have promised us. So may we not hold on to just the gospel for our salvation, but may we also practice the gospel in our sanctification. Knowing that you who began a good work in us will complete it at the day of Christ. And Father, if there's those this morning that don't know you, God, would they... Do you give them the faith to believe and trust in you today? Would you change their hearts from vile idolatry to a worship of their creator and their Lord Jesus? Would you save them, Father, by your grace and mercy? Lord, we love you and we thank you, God, that as your word says, even when we are faithless, you remain faithful because you cannot deny yourself. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.